I do I do want to uh, kind of move us over and 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 talk about the 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 teams that the Knicks are playing upcoming. Um, they're playing Charlotte again, <laughs> um, Detroit and Toronto, and I, I I wanted us to get a chance to talk about each of those teams. Let's start out with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, we're pretty familiar with the Charlotte Hornets at this point. Um, we can start with the obvious. Lamelo has an ankle injury. That's you know, as anyone would know, that's a huge loss for them. With Lamelo off the court, the Hornets are you know six point five points per one hundred possessions worse. You would imagine it might be more than that, but um, that's just the raw on off. Uh, and you wouldn't expect it, but it's actually their defense that takes a huge hit with Lamelo off the court. So that's that's a really interesting uh, takeaway from from the data. Yeah, I, I I'm just curious if is there anything specific that stands out at you from the Charlotte Hornets Sands Lamelo Ball? Um. Yeah, I mean they're just playing better recently. They're up to five and nine. You know, and the the, the two losses they took against us, I think they were. You know, they had only had a couple wins at that time. They're inching closer to, uh, excuse me, five and 10. They're inching closer to, I don't want to say relevance, but to just not being one of the bottom feeders. Uh, getting Miles Bridges back, of course, helps. Uh, you know, putting aside whatever happened in his personal life. Um, I think it's pretty clear he's a really good basketball player and he helps you. Um, Mark Williams continues to grow as, you know, just, I mean, EPM loves Mark Williams. In fact, I think it puts him ahead of LaMelo in terms of impact this season, which is kind of wild or it's close. Um, no, he's behind LaMelo, but yeah, it's, 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 it's much closer than you might think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just an awesome pick by them. Uh, yeah, you're right. Wow. It has Mark Williams as a negative on defense and it has LaMelo. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think there's a lot of flukiness to those defensive numbers. I know that Steve Clifford's a really good defensive coach. Um, I just, I think the, I, I, I think that the Hornets are in a very strange position because Lamelo's had a ton of individual success early on. He's already made an all-star team. I think that uh, they made the plan back to back both seasons that he's been on the team or he was healthy. Um, they didn't last season. Yeah, they didn't last season. Um, and I think that the Hornets are kind of find themselves in a position where they have to choose between patience and keeping LaMelo Ball happy. Because for better or for worse, the players in this league have made it kind of clear that if they have. If, the, if it's up to them, they're only, you know, you can pretty much remove two thirds of the league. Like they, they'll only play for a third of the league. And so when you're the Charlotte Hornets and you get a LaMelo ball caliber player, there's added pressure to make sure that he's happy and doesn't demand a trade. And, you know, he wants to stick around. I'm not a hundred percent sure that, you know, as nice a guy as, or as, you know, as Gordon Hayward is, I think the, a lot falls on the shoulders of Brandon Miller and um, Mark Williams and how much they progress, how much, how, how far LaMelo thinks they can go. So if I'm a Hornets fan, I think that's where I start. I, 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 I hone in specifically on Miller and Mark Williams. Um, 
because their development and their impact is going to have a huge say in how happy Lamelo Ball is. Um, and I, I mean, Steve Clifford is kind of Tibbs light. It's really funny. Like he's, he does what he does and he does it well. I can't imagine they view him as the long-term solution. I think they're at the point where they want Clifford to establish a culture like Tibbs did in 2020, 2021. And you can tell he's trying really hard to do it. Um, he has some great, great press conference quotes uh, of him just being so frustrated with this team of them not doing, you know, the, the not getting the nuts and bolts of what he's trying to um, infuse into their, into this system. So, yeah, I mean, the Hornets, yeah, they're, they're just in a, a pretty interesting spot and I'll, I'll be curious to see where they go going forward and how, how those players do. Yeah, I agree. I, it, this is such a hard team to read to me in terms of like, how they move forward. Um, like you said, I mean, Miles Bridges makes a difference. I think Brandon Miller is going to be really good. Um, Lamella Ball obviously has superstar level potential, I'll say, especially on offense. The, the, the guy's incredible. And Mark Williams is a huge find for them. Um, outside of that, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I I don't know what their what their future holds, but uh, what I do think is interesting is of their last seven games, um, their defense has has been improved as, as you suggested. That their worst defensive performances of their last seven games have both come against the Knicks. Um, the 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 game against the Knicks on the twelfth of November, um, they gave up. <laughs> Uh, 144.3 points per 100 possessions <laughs> pays to the Knicks, which is like, you know, the worst defense in the history of basketball, obviously. Um, and then on the 18th of November, 128.4 points per 100 possessions, which is, which is horrifying. Um, but outside of those two games, their defense has been, well, you know, pretty solid in terms of what they're giving up in terms of their effective field goal percentage. They've been okay. They've been much improved. So, I do think this is a better team, a slightly better team. I think they're getting things together. Um, kind of the system seems to be gelling a little bit better than it had been. I think the LaMelo loss, though, I, I just think it's going to – I don't think they can do much without LaMelo on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Is it confirmed he's going to be out for a while? No, it's not confirmed that he's going to be out for a while. But uh, did you see the injury? Did you see him go down and – and kind of, yeah, like it just didn't look good. Um, you know, they did x-rays that were negative. I don't know if they did an MRI, but, you know, at the very least, it's like probably a severe sprain. I, I, I can't imagine him playing like, you know, the next couple of games at least. Um, and they're, and I have to imagine they're going to be careful with him. I What else would, yeah. like he's your prized possession. Uh, you know, not that he's a possession, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of his, the rights to his, to his, uh, to his duties. I mean, he's, they're going to be careful with him. So I can't imagine he plays like, you know, coming up soon. So to me, like, like I said, their defense has been better. Their defense is worse without LaMelo Ball, which I know is like, I feel like that's surprising to most, but uh, I just I just can't imagine them doing much. What I do think is interesting as far as like the relevance to the in-season tournament, because this is the final in-season tournament for the Knicks, and I believe it is also for Charlotte. Um, the Knicks need to win this game and also increase their point differential to actually clinch the wild card um, to get into the final four um, for the for the in-season tournament. They're not going to be able to win their group. Um 
but they can make it into the in-season tournament. And this is like an amazing opportunity with LaMelo Ball potentially, in, in, in my opinion, probably being out, that they can not only win this game, but win with enough of a margin that they kind of secure their 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 bid to make it to the next stage and, and be in the final four in the Eastern Conference of the in-season tournament. So um, I think that that's an interesting storyline for this upcoming game against the, uh, the between the Knicks and the Hornets. But aside from that, to me, it's just like we'll, we'll have to see where they go next. But I, I think we're gonna it's going to depend on Brandon Miller's kind of ascendance early on in his career and and uh, LaMelo Ball's health moving forward. That's kind of that, that's really my thoughts on the Hornets. Yeah, they 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 very clearly have a big three, and I mean, if if I'm a Hornets fan, you're just hoping for for progression from Williams and Miller, and that they nail a, a high. Sorry, pick so again. you you have bridges outside of that big three, right? I mean, that's just such a tough. I I don't think they want him there long term. I mean, yeah, or maybe yeah. They, maybe they do. Um, I mean, he's still so he's only 25. So he's only 25. Yeah. Yeah. And he's good. So look, maybe they do. Um, and maybe they, maybe they think they're, you know, a, a wing away, you know, with, with, uh, with LaMelo Miller bridges and Mark Williams. Um, but yeah, I, I, the bridges thing, I just, it's just so weird. I, I don't know enough about what happened off the court. I don't. So it's just tough to, it's tough to comment on yeah. how much how much the Hornets want him to be a part of their future, you know? Right. Yeah, of course. But but just as far as an on-court presence, just what he brings, um, you know, and his age. I mean, okay, LaMelo is 22. Miller is 21. Mark Williams is 21, going to be 22 in December. Um, and Bridges is 25. I don't know. Again, we don't know if they want him to be there long term or what that actually looks like. But as, as far as like a core, imagining a core two to three years from now, um, with it's, a, it's a, a good, it's a good fitting core. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, and Bridges at that power forward position, he's switchable. He can shoot. Um, I mean, he, he shot 40% from three, two years ago on four and a half attempts yep. that dipped, um, or excuse me, two seasons ago, 20, 2020, 2021. I, he didn't play in, uh, last season because of that right. stuff that dipped in 2021, 2022, but so did his three point attempts. He, he shot, uh, six a game. He was down to 33%. And this season, you know, only five games, but he's settled in at 37 and a half percent on five a game. That's you know you're fine with that from your power forward, especially mm-hmm. he he's not a Julius Randle type. He's not dominating a bunch of possessions. He's playing off ball. He's he's uh, attacking the offensive glass. He's doing all these things. Um, he's averaged you know one or more offensive rebounds a game for pretty much his entire career. And again, he's a switchable good defender. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean he he can fit uh, in between Miller and Mark Williams, which which helps you. Um, and I, I do like that core if, the, if there's progression, uh, you said it, uh, a few weeks ago, Brandon Miller showed a lot of early signs on both sides of the ball. He hasn't yeah. really put it all together, but, um, you are seeing flashes from Brandon Miller in terms of how he can help you on both sides of the ball. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I thought that he was going to lean more three and D, um, 
he showed flashes off the bounce. Uh, I, I still don't think he's a good enough passer to be an offensive engine, but I do think that he could be a good fit off of Lamella Ball if if Lamella Ball keeps improving and, and mm-hmm. becomes you know if Lamella Ball becomes an All NBA level initiator, Brandon Miller doesn't have to be you know a star offensive initiator. He just needs to be capable because you do need that secondary initiator. Yeah. All of a sudden you have Lamella and Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, who's a good interior passer, just a very impactful player. And you have bridges roaming on both ends. The Hornets might not be as far away as it seems like they are right now, uh, especially if Clifford builds uh, a, a good system with accountability and, and work ethic. Like we've seen that's worked with the Knicks, you know, I mean, Mm-hmm. Thibodeau gets a ton of shit, but look at how quickly he plays. Look at, you know, all their young guys, they live and die with each game. And they do that because of the the system they've grown up in. And if Clifford can get his guys in Charlotte to do that, the Hornets might not be as far away as it seems. I think that's really well said. I don't, I don't have a ton to add. I mean, we we've talked Hornets a little bit over on these podcasts for the last uh, few weeks. Um, Speaking of a team that seems <laughs> that seems far away, <laughs> um, the D- the Detroit Pistons. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how we can have this conversation without it being sad. <laughs> um, but you know, Detroit is. Um, I think their their updated record. It doesn't have to be sad. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I I feel I don't know why I feel sad about it. like I. <laughs> Maybe there's some there's some empathy kicking in for me in some way. I don't know. I I live so I I spent some time living in Ann Arbor. So I lived in Ann Arbor for um, a little over a year. So I was close by close by Detroit. Been to a few Pistons games. Um, you know, the sport, sports culture there is is really great. And you know, I I I like. I like the Pistons. Like, I think that they're cool. I think that when they're, when they were good and when they're good, it's like, it's good. It's good for the NBA. It's good. You know, I just, I, I, I enjoy the, the, the city and the environment. So that's kind of, it feels sad because I'm thinking about it in the context of like Detroit and like hard times. And it's just, they're, they're bad. They're bad, Jeff. They're, they're, they're really bad. I, I don't know. They, they don't have no, nobody's playing particularly well on that team. It's Maybe really a star bad. Thompson on defense, you know, might be the only like the brightest, brightest light. Um, for, for, for and his Pistons. offensive rebounding, weirdly enough. Yeah. And his offensive rebounding has been amazing, especially for, you know, a guy that's that's six, seven or whatever he is. Um, so, yeah, I, I to me that that might be the brightest light. But, yeah, is there anything that you want to talk Because what I would what I wanted to talk about as far as the Pistons is. I was just looking at some of the data on their kind of shot diet, their shot selection, and um, they are bottom in the league in terms of like frequency of shooting three pointers. Um, 29.8% of their shots come from three point range, which is rock bottom in the NBA. And uh, they don't shoot it poorly about like average about 36%, but they, it's it's not working for them to take essentially like very very few threes and I but I looked at their roster and it's like who who's who would be taking the threes you know like I I I just don't I just don't know what they can do to turn things around but do you have a, a kind of an assessment on the Pistons and and at least some long range long term trajectory that you can you can say that might make it less sad for me at least. 
So I think the Pistons are a really good case study of your entire basketball thesis and in terms of the value of shooting. Because what we're seeing in Detroit right now is the bottom of the mountain of a snowball effect that starts when you have no space. Everything that we're we're watching in Detroit, the first domino is that nobody is allowed to operate in any space. So how do you evaluate any of these players objectively in a vacuum when they're all, it's basically like every single player on the team is individually operating with one hand tied behind their back. Yeah. And the, like if you, Cade Cunningham has the ball. Okay. Well, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson and two bigs, their best spacers, Isaiah Stewart in their ideal lineup right now. Cade Cunningham, who they want to be, a, you know, an elite primary engine, is that probably their best spacer. That that can't happen. Um, so the first step needs to be that these players they need to improve as shooters, or they need to bring in shooting. You know, Jaden Ivey specifically needs to become a better and more willing shooter. Um, you know, even if there are lumps. You know, even if Jaden Ivey spends a month shooting 25% from three, he needs to get comfortable shooting, you know, six, seven threes a game. Uh, or Cade Cunningham needs to say, okay, I'm not going to be Luca. I'll be a more willing off-ball shooter, and he needs to be the threat. They need space. They need gravity. Or else you can't objectively analyze this team in a vacuum because not, everything they're doing right now isn't really paramount to what they'll do on a team that's trying to win. I think I just want to jump because I think that's an amazing point. I think that what you're saying, yeah, I, I love that you brought this point up. I agree fully that you can't really assess and analyze these players in this kind of contrived condition, which is totally antithetical to the modern NBA, which is that they're playing on this like small court, essentially. Like they're playing on this like really tightly packed court and you just don't know how good these guys are because obviously on a widely spread out court, players are able to perform to their best ability. And we see kind of not only, not only are they as good as they are, but they're, they're be able to be made. I don't want to say better than they are. That doesn't make sense, but they're able to be like, they're able to have their skills be shown um, off in the best light, but having this kind of like inability to space the court, all these guys are seeming worse than they are, honestly, because these guys need, these guys need space. Their best shooter right now is Alec Burks. Um, and with Alec Burks on the court, their offense is 7.6 points better per 100 possessions. And that's not a, that's not a coincidence, you know, like that's, that's because he's the one guy who can, who can shoot 40% from, from three, like on high volume. So yeah, I, I think that's just a tremendous point. I just wanted to, to kind of emphasize it. Yeah, it's just it's almost like a social experiment. Like what would happen if you stuck five <laughs> players? Who, <laughs> it's so it's so weird because like you just said, if you put Asar Thompson, even this rookie version of Asar Thompson on a team with four shooters, his impact would be more pronounced. And you can say that for every single player on this team. So like there are people calling Cade Cunningham a bust. Maybe he is a bust. I don't know. Maybe he's never going to be worthy of the number 1 pick. How can we truly know that in this in these conditions that he's playing? And we're not so it's tough to gauge how what their long term trajectory is going to be like 
until they, I mean, man, them missing out on Chet Holmgren is just, that's, they were supposed to have the number one pick that year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I think they fell out of the top three. Um, Cause that was the year they got Ivy, right? And that's you know, the year they got Ivy. Yeah. That, that would, Chet would fundamentally change everything for them, honestly. Right. Um, I don't know what else there is to say about the Pistons because until they get spacing, it's just the best thing I can say about each Pistons player right now is there have been flashes like I covered on the high end theory Twitter account. I think Cade and Ivy have improved playing off each other. I really like what I've seen of them playing together in a small sample, but how much better would they with how much more pronounced would that seem if their three through five players could shoot better or could shoot at all. I mean, it's just, it's wild watching them, how jumbled the spacing is. The defenses just don't care about any of them out there. You know, in a weird way, it's kind of a compliment to them that they're able to score even as <laughs> that they're not laughably the word, <laughs> you know, like in my opinion, based on how little spacing there is, they should be way below every single other team in the league. You know, think about all the other bottom dwelling teams, the Spurs, the Spurs right now, yes, they, we were joking a little bit earlier about Jeremy Sohan playing point guard. Or, yeah, playing point guard. But I mean, they have Devin Vassell, their center. They have two willing shooters at power forward and center in Wembenyama and Collins. I know Collins hasn't actually shot the ball well, but he has minimal functional spacing as a center. Um, you know, he gets closeouts when he gets the ball at the top of the key. The defenses don't want him just stepping into wide open threes. Mm-hmm. Keldon Johnson, I think he's an overrated overall player from an impact perspective. He can shoot the ball. He, he's a better shooter than anybody in the Pistons starting lineup. Um, Sands, maybe Cade Cunningham. The point is, is that the gap between the Pistons shooting and their spacing and every other team in the league is so unbelievably wide, way wider than the actual offensive output is. And so... I don't know. I think I think I think there's a chance that Pistons players cuz they're not just going to keep this core. They're eventually going to, you know, say, "Okay, like we can't just keep running back this core. We have to make fundamental changes." And I think that there's going to be a, a chance for teams in the league to buy low on Pistons young players that they basically just say like, "Okay, we need to add space. We need to get rid of these guys." And teams are just going to be like, okay, well, they haven't done anything in the NBA yet. But as I alluded to, I think almost all of these players, if not all of these players, would be immediately more impactful in uh, more optimal conditions around them. Yeah, so you went exactly where I was going to lead you, which is, do you imagine that a bunch of these Pistons players get dispersed around the league and then are like, really good <laughs> when they get into different environments and right. context. Yeah, that that's that's exactly what I was going to ask you. I think Cade is safe. I think when you take a guy number 1, like he's at least going to yeah, get Yeah, they're second, not moving second, Cade. Yeah. second contract. But like Jaden Ivy, like that's a talented dude. You put Jaden Ivy in a slightly better situation, uh, I mean, who's to say he can't just immediately be a high impact six man who just, you know, initiates offense versus uh, opposing teams, bench units in space when he can get into the rim. And then all of a sudden, and the the thing I haven't talked about here, which is vital 
it's really hard to improve during these games as a player in these conditions. It's hard enough to just impact the games positively. It's even harder to like hone your craft. If you're Jaden Ivey yeah. and you're saying, okay, I know how to get to the hoop, but I don't know if I'm the best at making rim reads, you know, when I should shoot, when I should kick out. Well, you're not improving your ability to kick out when there's no one to kick out to. Um, all of a sudden, Jaden Ivey goes to this other team. There's more options. There's more film to study. This is a player that's his improvement trajectory has a better chance of going up. Um, so all these things, again, to use the domino or the snowball example, these these are all individual dominoes that add up and just create a shitstorm. And I think that that's what the Pistons are in the middle of right now. And to be frank, I don't know what the first step out of it is. I, I don't know how they get themselves out of the mud. Yeah, and I think that's another tremendous point because if you're Jaden Ivey, you're attacking the rim. Um, if you if your kickout option is a really bad three point shooter, it might be the optimal choice for you to put up a bad shot at the rim. Like actually, that may be your best option as far as um, as far as like potentially like getting an efficient outcome, you know, or or the most efficient outcome between the two options. So, I think that's a great point. The the Pistons uh, with a one hundred eight point five per one hundred possessions offensive rating. Um, right behind the Chicago Bulls, actually, interestingly. So um, behind the Chicago Bulls and ahead of uh, San Antonio, Memphis, and Portland. So, yeah, maybe it is. A, <laughs> but you, I think you did it. I think you successfully made this not depressing for me because <laughs> maybe it is a credit to their players and their talent that they're able to still put up, a, you know, not an absolute horrible league worst offensive rating. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that's a great point. Let's uh, let's talk about the final team on our list here, the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors, a.k.a. the Pascal and Scotty show. Um, <laughs> do you have any uh, initial thoughts about the Raptors? Yeah, uh, Barnes has really come back to earth, down to earth since the last time we talked. I mean, he's still top 10 in EPM, but these last few games have been pretty rough for him. Um they're just another I, I don't really know what they're doing. I don't they're they're just kind of in no man's land right now, you know. Um they're coming off a pretty tough loss to the Cavs. That's all I mean, Donovan Mitchell was like four for nineteen or something, and the Cavs still won pretty handily. It's weird that they're still in the same position. It felt like they were in a couple of years ago when Scotty Barnes was a rookie. They have a lot of players who are kind of similar and I think they really need a move, OG Ananobi. I guess that's the first thing I'll say. I think I think he's the odd man out. Um, I think they're missing Fred Van Vliet. I think they're missing his defense at the point of attack, just his, his leadership. They don't really have uh, – Schroeder's doing his best, but Van Vliet is a much better organizer than Schroeder is. Uh, he provides more space. He's a better defender. I, I think they're missing Van Vliet. I think that – they should probably trade OG and maybe even Siakam. I mean, Siakam's approaching 30. Maybe, maybe you just get what you can for him. Um, I think Barnes has to be the key and he is the player that I would emphasize uh, with the Raptors going forward, but there's really not, I mean, Gary Trent jr. He struggled a little bit to start, but like, 
he is what he is. You know, like I think I feel pretty comfortable in saying I know what Gary Trent Jr. is. I don't know how to, I don't think this team can fly very high this season. And I also don't love their long-term trajectory until I see what kind of moves they make, because I don't, I don't foresee too many players that are currently on the roster still being on the roster in two seasons. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I mean, their, their offense is, you know, it's not very good. Um, you know, I, I think they rely on offensive rebounds. They're not offensive rebounding like they did um, last year where they were one of the best teams in the league at it um, and, and had a similar kind of style to this, like a poor shooting team that got a lot of extra chances and extra possessions and didn't turn the ball over. They're kind of like having a difficult time replicating that approach this year. Um, their offensive rebounding numbers have come down, not way down. You know, they're relatively similar, but they're turning the ball over a lot more. And they're not shooting much better. So, you know, for that, for those reasons, they're a worse offensive team. To me, honestly, I I don't know so much that they need to move OG Ananobi. I think OG is showing a really like a level of consistency in terms of his shooting and, and his defense that I feel like he fits really, really well and just needs some other players to kind of support like Scotty and OG to me as your front court. I think that works really well. I think that works really well. You have two amazingly impactful wing defenders um, who can both, if you know, I, I don't buy Scotty Barnes's shooting, but you know, if he if he was going to shoot like thirty six or thirty seven percent, who can both spread the floor, um, both handle it a little bit. Obviously, Scotty's a little more efficient with it and, and a better um, um, assist man. Uh, I, I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good front court to me. So I, to me, it is, it is Pascal. That's the odd man out to me. And I feel like the, the big move for them is to move Pascal Siakam. And I don't know what you can get back for him, but Scotty OG. And even if you, inc- you keep Yaka Pirtle, I like that. I, 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 I kind of like that. And I think that if you can get something back for Pascal and I, and I, I would say that I have to see them moving him, but <laughs> I don't know what Masai is going to do. That's a, he's like a madman. Like who knows? Like he just would let guys go walk for free. Like I, I, I have no idea what to expect as far as like, I, I don't know if I can put the expectations of a, of a rational, <laughs> a, a reasonable person on him. But to me that, that, that's the clear thing that needs to happen. Um, and then it's, it's, it's obviously working on the backcourt that I think is the issue. I, I will say Schroeder has been pretty good and, and honestly watching, Raptors games when it, when I've when I've kind of like popped into various Raptors games like he's like stood out to me actually he stood out to me as you know kind of being what he's always been very crafty um it, you know he's he, he he's very sneaky his shooting's been like kind of better than I than I remember it being on the Lakers um and so like I think he's played admirable admirably as as you suggested as well um, and I, and I, I did call it the Scotty and Pascal show, but, but Schroeder has a reasonable amount of usage and playmaking responsibilities on that team. He's just not gonna be a guy to kind of like take you over the hump or, or really make a huge impact as far as like winning is concerned. So to me, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what the contract situation is for OG. Are they going to sign him to a big, to a big contract? I, I'm not sure what he would command and what he would want and what he would need to like stay there. Um, but if you could have those two, Scotty and OG and, and Yaka Pirtle, to me, that's like a pretty good start towards towards building something. So that that's what I'm thinking as far as the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, OG is over 40% from three this year. 
Pascal Siakam is shooting 22% from three on four <laughs> game. On how many attempts? Four. Wow. 22% on four attempts a game? See, he's yeah. just hitting one of four, less than one of four every less game. Less than one of four. Yeah. That's, um, that's not going to do That's not going to cut it. It's not. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not. Somehow he still has a 56% true shooting percentage, which is pretty amazing. He's been pretty incredible inside the arc. So, I mean, for comparison, Julius Randle's shooting 28% from three, 6% better than Siakam, and his true shooting is 48%. Um, That's incredible, actually. What is So, sorry, what is Pascal shooting at the rim then? Is he, like, dominating at the rim? Um, I'd have to find splits. We're going to do this on the fly. No, um, I, I, I found it. So he's not even dominating at the rim. He's shooting 66.1% at the rim, which is, which is very good, but... It doesn't make up for it. So he's okay. 48 point. He's shooting about 49% from mid range. That's he's uh, killing it from mid range this year, um, which yeah. might be part of the problem. <laughs> Could be. Um, I mean, even yeah. from three, from three to 10 feet, he's shooting exactly 50% or excuse me, three, three to 16 feet when you combine them. Wow. So you basically, he's shooting 50%. That's, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, I see. By the way, I see. I see seventy-two percent at the rim. Huh. Um, That's so interesting. Again, I, I, I'm looking at dunks and threes as like my my kind of reference point. So okay. there's going to be subtle difference. Normally, very minor differences between some of the sites, but yeah, that's a pretty substantial difference. Yeah. Um. I listening to you talk. I, I think I'm. If they, I, I agree with you that I think that they could get a big enough return for Siakam that if they just traded Siakam and had Barnes as like the main cornerstone, but with OG and Pirtle as supporting pieces, I, I think they'd be in a much better spot. Um, so yeah. I'll be interested to see who shows interest. But like, I don't know, like, you know, Atlanta was a team that was rumored to be interested in in uh siakam in the offseason if the hawks and raptors did a murray for siakam like how would you feel about that i i like that for both for both parties i yeah that's a that's a really interesting call um now hmm murray for siakam i mean i think i like it a little more for toronto um i i've generally been high on on murray than most other people that i know and i think that he's performing really well this year especially offensively having one of his best offensive seasons even though he is you know not finishing at the rim very well but he's he's shooting a lot better than he used to um and his his three-point shooting has improved so much and i think it's real because his free throw shooting is up um his mid his mid-range shooting is up like i think his shooting improvement is real and he's about like 27 so i think I, i can expect some of that to stay um, and then some of the versatility that Pascal offers, I think would mesh really well with, the uh, with the team that he'd go to, but I don't know. I, I, I could see something like that working, but I think that that would be a bigger return than they can actually expect to get for Pascal is, uh, I, th- I think Pascal being, uh, what'd you say was 30? Um, yeah, 30. Yeah. I think that's a bigger return than they probably could expect to get for him. He turns 30 at the end of this season. Sorry. He's 29 right now, but, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I actually think Siakam's viewed higher than Murray right now across the league. I you feel think like, 
Maybe yeah. I'm just high. I'm just higher on Murray is the, is the thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think he's being suppressed in Atlanta a little bit just yeah. because Trey Trey Young. But I do think that does hurt. You know, like I I don't think that I don't think that if you were the Hawks, like, and you were in trade negotiations, and the Raptors were like, okay, we'll do something based on Siakam and Murray. You know, we can do something centered around that. And the Hawks were like, "Well, actually, Murray's way better than we're letting him be." Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see that, I don't see that working. Honestly, I'm not even gonna lie. I think they might make that argument though, because they might be like, "Yeah, we're trying to work this thing out with Trey and Dejounte," and you know, it is not like like he's gonna be so much better in that in your environment. Like, I, I, I why couldn't they make that argument? They could. I, I. I they could. I just don't I don't see that flying in NBA circles. That just doesn't seem like because everybody finds out everything these days. Like, can you imagine if that report was leaked? <laughs> yes, you know, like the, 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 the Woj bomb. Yeah. Atlanta GM Landry Fields says Murray's actually way better than he is in, in on, on his like, come on. That's hilarious. Yeah, you're right. I mean, w- but what do you think of the Jalen Johnson and Pascal Siakam fit? Uh, that that's kind of like the it's issue a little for messy. me. I mean, what you, I mean, I know what me and you would do. Yeah, of course, we just play Pascal at the center. <laughs> right, right. I could, but I could. But see they're that. not gonna. I don't know if they're gonna. They're not gonna do that though. Why? Their defense is already bad enough. Just go all in, all in on offense. That'd be such a sick team. Like that Trae would Young, be sick. I would love that. Tra- yeah, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, um, Hunter. Hunter Bay, Hunt Hunter. Like that's the best spacing they'll ever have. Yeah. And again, I always say that as Siakam, you know, I just told you he's shooting 22% from three on three on four threes a game. That's way more detrimental to you from a from the power forward spot than it is from the center spot. And and, and Pascal are, has shot 30s, something like mid 30s in his career. You know, I don't think he's a 22%. He's still taking four four threes a game. So clearly he doesn't think he's a 22% three-point shooter either. Um, so I, I yeah, I don't think that that's real. I don't think he's a 22 whatever low 20s percentage shoot uh, three-point shooter so um and and you know i don't know maybe with more spacing he and, and at the five position where guys are not really coming out to him as much like he can shoot better than that um so yeah and running uh, pick and running pick and roll with trey young yeah 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 you're convincing me <laughs> so so i i just don't know if if atlanta is willing to kind of move on from the capella thing i think they like capella and they like that style with with trey and so it would it w- that would be the the thing to take it over the over the hill. Well, I- Here, here's the here's the beauty yeah. though. Jalen Johnson is a crazy athlete, like a better athlete than Siakam is for sure. So they they could run like horns or double screens, drag screens with both G- uh, with both Johnson and Siakam screening. And have Johnson at power forward just be the guy who dives to the rim like they love Capella, and they could they could emulate what the Trey Young Capella screen and roll with Jalen Johnson, and then they could also I mean Siakam it's not like he can't roll, but him then popping as the center yeah like you just said opposing yeah. centers aren't going to want to to come out on on the perimeter with him I think that could be a really effective offensive scheme and they they would do it would replicate it just fine I I, I mean I think that's a great I think that's a great point. It could absolutely work and would be super dynamic. But I will say, like, the Hawks are already a ridiculous offense, right? Like, are, it's not like – I could say if their offense was struggling and you're like, 
well, look at this option I have for you. And they'd be like, well, yeah, we can definitely do that. Our offense would be amazing. Like we'd score like, I don't know, 121 points per 100 possessions. And it's like, well, actually we already are. <laughs> like like they're already the second best offense in the NBA so far. I mean, do I think a lot of that is like real? Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think all of that is necessarily real, especially given like, you know, Jalen Johnson shooting and, and some other things that feel like more kind of blips than than trends. But also Trey Young's not shooting that well. So um, or, yeah. or has it? He's been better. Season. He's been better recently. He's been though. better of he's... late. Yeah, of course. So. So, yeah, I, I could see it working. Um, I think Atlanta would have to would have to be the one to decide that. Again, I, I don't know. You, you might be right that teams may see um, Pascal as more valuable than DeJounte. But to me, like this, that kind of deal would help Toronto more than it would Atlanta in terms of like the, the, the um, asset exchange. You wouldn't be worried about DeJounte Murray with Barnes with a big in Pearl. That's kind of three non-shooters i just think that i think that Dejounte is a better shooter. like i think that his improvement is real because how i look at shooting improvement is it like moderate like i don't look at the huge shooting jumps i generally don't think like you go from shooting 31 percent to, to shooting 43 percent like that i'm always going to question that i'm not going to think that that's that's legitimate and then so is it moderate and is it sustained and not is it linear but is it like consistent so to me Dejounte's shooting has gone and on various volume of course um he's he shot 37 percent 32%, 33%, 34%, this year 37%. Like that's real to me. Like he's gotten a little bit better every season. His free throw shooting has improved as well, 79, 79, 83, 86. Like it's to me all of that is kind of correlated in ways that you would expect to see a guy like slowly improve their shooting from their early 20s to their late 20s. So to me, I I can buy him as like a a little better than league average three-point shooter. So do you think that even though we both agree that RJ Barrett's current three-point percentage isn't sustainable, do you believe there has been some improvement and that him finishing the season in that same range, you know, 37, 38% would be 36, 37% would be reasonable? Oh, reasonable for sure. I I, I thought you were going to say expected. So reasonable, absolutely. I think that would be reasonable. Um, expected. I'm not sure because RJ Barrett's is, is is one of those cases where the the, the shooting jumps around a ton, right? So he, he starts out 32%, spikes all the way to 40% in the bubble season, drops down down, drops back down to 34%, um, drops down further last year to 31%. You know, right now obviously a spike to 42%. Like I I, I don't know. I don't have an expectation really. I would love to see it level out at around 37 and that be the shooter that he is. I think that that'd be great. 37, 38. I think that'd be amazing. Um, I don't really have a clear expectation, but it's too, it's too sporadic for me to feel like confident about like, yeah, he's probably this kind of shooter. Yeah. I just, I was finding an analogy there because the free throw shooting in my opinion is pretty clearly improved. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do look at free throw shooting as far as like, if I think a, a guy is like a, a player is a real, you know, has made real improvements in the shooting and, and yeah, RJ has definitely improved his free throw shooting. Um, but RJ also has these like stretches, these random stretches where he shoots really well. And so I don't know if like he's making small tweaks to his form that like work. So I, at least for me. So when I used to play basketball in like high school um, and then, 
you know, just for fun in college and, and, and stuff like I, I would make small tweaks to like my three, my, my shooting form. And then I would get really great results for like a week or two. And then it would always just be like, okay, I'm back to what I was before. And I don't know if, if that happens on the NBA level or not, obviously, but at least in my experience, like I would be like, okay, like, let me move my hand this way, or let me tuck my elbow a little bit more, or let me like, you know, start with my wrist, like lot, like, um, um, push back a little bit further. Uh, let me change my set point. Like I would make one small tweak like that. And then all of a sudden this, sh- like, I would be so much better of a shooter. And obviously it's silly to compare myself to an NBA player, but I think they are doing some of these things where they're making small tweaks like that. So I, I, I don't know. I would need to see it over a long period of time. It's funny how prevalent that is just in everything. Like I was a scratch golfer when I was in my early twenties. That's insane. And, wow. Um, you know, I, I would say since I turned uh, 22, you know, I'm playing anywhere between zero and 15 times a year, you know? Uh, so I'm just not as good. And it's just golf is a very it's a very different animal because it's just such a mental game. And to me, it's always been like if I know how good I once was, if I can't be that good again, there's just no point. Like I can (laughs) I I, I can I can I can I can walk out on the course right now and be, you know, a six, a six through an eight, you know, with no practice. So that's good enough for me. Um, But my point is, is that. I've had stretches where I've been like, okay, I'm going to try to get back to what I once was. And I've made like the smallest tweak in my swing and the immediate results are always amazing. And like for a week, I'm just striping the ball yeah. and then I'm just back. And then I'm just back to what I was. And I'm like, wait a second, what, what happened here? Like, why isn't this working anymore? And it's, it's like, I'm still doing it. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever have like, um, I, so I don't know how high level you played basketball at. I played just in uh, high, school. high school through high school. No, I just mean like, how do I say this without sounding pretentious? Just like how good, I guess. Uh, so, um, you know, who cares how good somebody was in high school, but you know, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was all right. And, um, I always think back and like, wish I wasn't such an idiot. Like I played, I wish I knew na- then what I know now, you know, like I definitely didn't take enough threes. Like I, I always like, you know, I was like the point guard and let, and I led our team in threes, but I definitely could have, our team was bad. Like I, de- our best offense definitely would have just been me shooting a three at any time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I wish hilarious. I understood that back then because I was definitely like trying to be more of a hooper, you know, like trying to get into the paint. And it's like, dude, you're, you're not six foot six. Stop trying to do that. Like, you know, like just, just launch. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you think about that stuff, but I think about it all the time. I, w- I just wish I shot more. And I, and also I wish I was more exploitative of ball handling. Like, like yeah. I have, like I have really good hand eye. And like, if I have a kid, I'm just gonna be like, dude, nobody knows how to dribble press and try. Like totally. I guarantee you there yeah. are so many missed opportunities by not pressing at, you know, a, a lowish high school level. Cause it's Absolutely. not like these are, yeah. Yeah. I would say my comp was probably uh, Jordan Goodwin. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, this is a callback to our last episode when, uh, you know, we have a running bit where I mention a random role player on a an oppo- opposing Knicks, uh, a team that's opposing the Knicks and um, talk about their, their potential defensive impact. Jordan Goodwin I'll was never, a I'll never forget 
the first one. The first one was so ridiculous to me because it was so in rhythm. You were like, you know, Bucks just have all these good defenders. They have Pat Connaughton. I was just like, dude, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then I looked up the impact numbers and I was just like, okay, I guess Connaughton's not – I guess I'm just the racist. You know, like I was just like, oh, he's, he's white. He can't be good. But I don't know. Like, That's funny. That was just so ridiculous to me. So wait, who so, is so this the, week's? The Jordan Goodwill. Well, I'll I'll say this week's. I'll say this week's. Um, but um, the 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 Jordan Goodwin comp is just because. So I mean, I think we saw, and if you watch really closely, Brunson got off, but on possessions when Goodwin was just matched straight up against Brunson, and there were no screens coming, it was just kind of like ISOs. Goodwin could stay with him. He stayed with him, and he frustrated him at times. It felt a little bit like watching Fred VanVleet. Um, it felt a little bit watching like uh, Fred Van Vliet play play Brunson defensively, like a smaller guy who is a little like a little sturdier and could kind of stay in front of him and just make him have to shoot over the top, not go for a lot of his fakes and his his crafty moves. And and Brunson would just get a little frustrated and just give up the ball a couple times. He's also just a pest. Like he 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 beat quickly for offensive rebounds twice in that game. Yeah, and I was just like, quickly, you have to box out. Uh, and this isn't to you know take blame away from quickly but watching the replays it was just like oh goodwin's just like annoying like he like it's not like quickly wasn't trying to box out he wasn't just doing the randall thing where he just stands there you know <laughs> um he but goodwin's just yeah he was just everywhere that was that was he didn't have to hit the threes he did i don't know he's just <laughs> that, that that shit was annoying but i mean to bring it back to the knicks there's variance like that in every game. You have to control the things you can control. And the Knicks did a terrible job of controlling what they can control in that Suns game. And Absolutely. they let they, they left themselves open to being beaten by a really good player in Devin Booker. I mean, he had 11 assists and two turnovers. I, I do think we kind of underrated Booker's impact in that game a little bit. I mean, the Knicks were sending doubles all over the place, and Booker only had two turnovers. Um, it's but I feel remarkable. like they, they kind of... They facilitated his impact, I think, is the thing that I was that I came away with. It's like, yeah, when you're just I just don't like that. I don't think that that were and, and I don't know. I'm not an NBA coach, but I, it just doesn't make sense to me to, you know, really force a guy to give up the ball when he's not even necessarily attacking. Like you're just creating this kind of black hole. You're turning him into like an amazing gravity player, but he already is like you don't have to just like give the gravity like it's, it's just a strange concept to me strategically so um i i guess i meant like he wasn't shooting particularly well he was forcing up a lot of shots i would have been fine with booker just taking a bunch of like mid-range shots and long threes with like just good defense you know i i, I don't know yeah no that's that's fine I and mean, we have a bunch of jesus the knicks have a bunch of different looks to throw at him you know yeah. um yeah um, so but uh, but no, and 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 I and I, w- I was honestly I was pretty serious about that comparison, um, as far as myself. Like that's that's the kind of player I was, and you know I was in a point guard initiator. Um, I could get into the paint, and I was just like a really aggressive pass defensively, um, and like pretty athletic for my size, uh, quick laterally. So I was just you know that's that's that was my role. So. Um, I can't wait until we or we I can't wait until we organize the first ever hot hand theory pickup game and we figure out which <laughs> which member of Nick's Twitter has the highest lube. 
<laughs> such a <laughs> weird sentence but yeah we're, we're gonna have to figure that out we're gonna work on the lube thing uh hey, my pick hey, it, it can be a co-ed game you know like it can it doesn't it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be <laughs> we can we can we, we can cut this cut that, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it could go from being cut to being the intro who knows where it's gonna end up <laughs> yeah Just... um <laughs> this is this is what this is what y'all get two hours of this folks you know <laughs> um the pick my pick for this week is uh is uh bryce mcgowan's i think bryce mcgowan's is, is all right <laughs> we gotta stop the, we gotta stop the pod this is this he's is a, you're taking this bit too far listen he's a young player and and you know he doesn't play very much but when i've seen him play um he's been pretty solid defensively he's a little bit like a you know like one of those pesty guys who is is solid on the ball and does doesn't get out of position and is okay on help defense so i mean if he if he plays at all against the knicks which i'm imagining he will play a few minutes given Lamelo ball like you know not playing um i think we'll see some of his defensive impact and if i hit on this one i'm the i'm starting the show i'm starting the next episode talking a lot of shit so just just so you know um, I was already gonna be annoyed if quickly had a bad game, but now quickly has a bad game because Bryce McGowan's is putting him in jail. I'm just... <laughs> uh, that's that's that would have been yeah. Um, all right, we are coming to the end here on Hot Hand Theory. Thank you all for being with us. Um, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna give a code word this time to to send in our in our DMs because we know you guys are rocking with us and you're here to the end. Um, but yeah, if you, if you can, it would be super helpful to us to drop a like to subscribe. Um, but actually like do it, you know, I know every YouTube video is like, like, and subscribe. It's like at this point, it just, you don't even register that people are saying it, but like actually doing that would be super helpful to us. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and hopefully you found, uh, our conversations and, and musings pretty interesting throughout. So yeah. Anything you want to say, Jeff, to close us out? Yes. Liking our video directly impacts us way more than liking a Mr. Beast video does. So keep that in mind, folks. Like, you know, when Mr. Beast flashes on the screen and he's like, like and subscribe, folks, and he gets billions of people to do it, your like is – it's worth, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. Every single person listening to this right now who's made it this far, if you just click that little button and subscribe it, you're actually – you're you know you're moving a mountain that's that's all i have to say so you know help 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 a couple guys out we're, we're trying to bring the best content we can that i think that's such a great you're having nikola Jokic impact by dropping a like or or, or subscribing to this podcast and uh who wouldn't want to have a nikola Jokic impact in their life uh in any facet um so yeah anyway appreciate that note from you jeff and uh yeah this has been hot hand theory <laughs>